and welcome to Chapter Tactics. Normally, the 40k podcast that brings you Warhammer 40k competitive content for people who play all levels of the game. However, today is going to be a special episode. We are going to be talking GW business and plans and how GW is handling the 9th edition release. Should be a good one. Of course, it wouldn't be a Chapter Tactics episode with three amazing co-hosts. And with me today, I have Mr. Val Heffelfinger. Ahoy, ahoy. Uh, Sean Morgan. It's this guy. And Brandon Grant. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, as as the title says, we're going to be talking about some growing pains that GW is going through in the 9th edition release. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, or if you're unaware... There was a big release this weekend, the weekend of the 11th of July, 2020, where GW uh, released a box set that sold out in a few minutes. Um, It got me thinking about how large the company is growing and how large the IP is growing and, you know, the larger audiences. And so I wanted to talk instead about... 40k tournaments and the game and the new edition which i know we're gonna we're gonna be talking about there's gonna be a lot of content surrounding that i wanted to talk about uh, kind of the the business and the policies that gw puts in um and it just kind of wanted like a round table freeform discussion about all of that because as much as we love playing the game the things that gw does as a company and the decisions they make as a company affect us um, from their pricing to their release schedule and all that stuff and so I wanted to talk about that. Before we jump into it, some quick announcements. FrontlineGaming.org will be selling Indominus boxes until July 30th. If you missed out, please, please, please don't be one of the poor souls who bought a $400 Indominus box on eBay this weekend. We're selling them at 15% off. That is $30 off the US dollar MSRP price. Just a smoking deal. Unfortunately, like everyone else, we will not be receiving them until the end of the month in or at the end of the year excuse me end of the year uh in december Uh, so if you don't know and you didn't read the warhammer community article basically gw is going to be printing the indominus box to demand that applies to retail stores so if you were upset by uh the way the indominus box release was handled or if you really want to support your local gaming store i recommend you talk to your store you go to frontlinegaming.org and you get those orders in through your local gaming store because now more than ever we need your help not just not just us local gaming stores need your help so and your patronage so um shoot them over some money if you can if you want an indominus box support your local gaming store uh and then wait patiently like the rest of us until december when we finally get our indominus boxes also you can go to frontline and get organ buy stuff if you want to support the patreon uh this month we're going to be giving away one indominus box uh, I unfortunately wasn't able to get a hold of one of our own Indominus boxes, so I did have to buy one on eBay. Um, <laughs> luckily, it wasn't that expensive. Ooh, look at this guy! Yeah, it Daddy you know, it's okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> uh, NBD, he says. Yeah, it you know it's okay, uh, but I will be giving an Indominus box away this month. Um, so if you're interested in that. One lucky patron is going to be winning an Indominus box, uh, and then I might try and try and get another one for a double release or a double giveaway. But that would be announced later on in the month, or maybe for uh, August when when the um, sales for them close on July thirtieth. So 
Super fun about that. Also, if you didn't listen to yesterday, last week's episode, we are going to be releasing a lot more 9th edition content. We've already got a great episode lined up where we talk about, we power rank the 40k factions. So we've got some really hard-hitting uh, 40k analysts up for that episode, as well as other good stuff. We've got an interview with a playtester coming up soon. This And um, the 9th edition release, the, or the, the schedule leading up to the 9th edition release is a jam-packed full of awesome stuff. And if you have any content you want to hear, if there's any professional players or, um, I guess there's a couple professional non-40k players in the community I could bring on. However, if there's any players you want to hear about, personalities, podcasters, bloggers, or whatever, you want them on the podcast, just shoot me an email from the gamingpdpod at gmail.com or go into that comment section and let me know who you would like to hear on Chapter Tactics. We have a ton of hosts who and guests who come on every week. And uh, I like to, you know, have a variety of guests on. So, all right, Val, Sean, Brandon, uh, let's just let's just jump into it. Yeah, let's dive right in. <clears throat> Where do we want to start? Uh, I definitely want to start so with the Indominus box. Oh, I think yeah. that's I think that's the freshest uh, and most controversial. Not not controversial. Uh, the most um, emotionally charged you know, subject we're going to be talking about because it is so fresh in our minds. Uh, yeah. So for those of you who don't know what happened, just a quick, 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 uh, brief reca- recap from a retailer, someone who was not necessarily on the inside, but who experienced kind of the entire situation firsthand. Uh, GW announced this Indominus box release sometime last week. I think early last week, maybe even the week before. And they announced that it would be a limited run box. Announced that there would be boatloads of this box and that they had plenty. And if you read their community page, and uh, from the sources I heard uh, through the grapevine, they planned to sell more of this box than any other box they've ever sold. So Dark Imperium, Dark Vengeance, all of those. Uh, And just looking at some of the sales numbers and some of the like the listings on eBay and kind of just the overall reaction to it, it looks like it was their largest release sale, their release to date. It was a huge release. So there's no reason to believe that they didn't think that this wouldn't be one of the biggest releases they've ever released. Uh, so for those of you who might be thinking like they didn't print enough, uh, you're right. However, they tried. They definitely tried to print a lot from everything I can see and from everything they've told us. So they printed this box, uh, this limited run box. Um, they released it on July 11th uh, in the U.S. anyways. I guess some other places at a different time. However, July 11th, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for us on the West Coast. And it sold out, I think, literally everywhere in minutes. I don't know. Val, Sean, Peter, did you did you did either of you try to get any boxes? Did you succeed? No, I didn't even give a shot at it because uh, I knew it was going to be a nightmare, and it's not my faction. So, yeah, I was uh, I was not involved in the craze, but I was uh, certainly watching it from afar. I was in the sweepstakes for a limited edition rulebook because I like to buy the sucker editions. <laughs> um, so I did get my uh, well, in theory, I got my mitts on one. We'll see if it comes through. But when the yes. dust settles, yes. Uh, Brandon, did you manage to get a hold of an Indominus box? Uh, indirectly, yes. So I got a piece of an Indominus box from a friend. 
Mm. Oh, so your friend was able to get a hold of one. Did, yes. did they order one from GW or from they the didn't local say. game store? They just oh, said, okay. do you want the rule book from my like fourth Indominus box? Oh, man. <laughs> just like, hey, man, lift of the cloak back. <laughs> yeah. You want a Indominus box? <laughs> what you buying, stranger? So, so Brandon Grant, everyone, is uh, deals in the shady back alley Indominus box <laughs> market. Um, anyways... Uh, the Black Library Market, so to speak. But yeah. uh, okay, so I was I was able to get um, my, as Val calls it, Sucker Edition, my Ultramarines and Dominus novel Sucker Edition, and the rulebook, the limited edition rulebook. And I was also nice. able to order one box online on GW uh, for the store, not for me personally, um, because I was tasked with getting as many Indominus boxes as I could. So <laughs> I came back with one. <laughs> so. <laughs> They were like, 9.59 a.m., Reese was like, Pablo, we're going to need more boxes. Go on GW. <laughs> and and Be- I'm just imagining Pablo, like, stumbling back through the doors at 10.06, clothes in disarray, <laughs> smoke and blood smudged all oh, across yeah. his face, eyes wild, clutching a single pristine Indominus box. That's how I felt. I, yeah. I, I logged in, I, because I also had to put up our Indominus box at 10 a.m. on the dot. Like, right. I had to, like, go into the system and make it live and all that. So I did that and then immediately went to GW's website and sat there staring at a frozen page for, like, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I finally managed to add it into my cart and buy it. And then an hour later, GW told me that my order, I guess, went through. I'm like, I'm like Val. Mm. It's still processing. <laughs> Um, I, I think their their system is just handling the the amount of people that were in it. You know, it's still kind of processing that information. Um, but uh, yeah, and then basically after that, the rest is history. Uh, a lot of people were very upset. A lot of people didn't get boxes. Boxes sold out. GW left everyone hanging for the whole weekend without any kind of announcements. Um, you know, so it, it definitely left a sour taste in a lot of people's um, minds. Um, in mouths and then that's it and then they came out today monday saying that they were going to be printing more uh because they are business and that from a yeah. business perspective makes perfect sense uh so they're going to be printing more they're going to be printed on demand and we won't be receiving them for a while uh as they said before christmas um i believe we'll be getting them christmas eve at eleven fifty nine p.m um so that's probably when we'll get those indominus boxes but uh overall um I think uh, a four out of ten handled, maybe maybe a little higher. Um, <sighs> I, from a... go ahead, Val. No, I mean, I, like, I mean, I'm probably one of the biggest GW apologists, but there's very re- actually, I'd say the last week has been the probably the most old old GW style yeah. uh, week so far of the ninth launch, I have to say. And uh, but you know, the thing is, that this is not. I don't know who handles this spreadsheet. Like who 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 does their projections or how they arrive at how they how much they make of a given quantity. But they don't seem to on purpose limit supply. Um they just seem to be caught out all the time. Like they have severe supply management issues. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I don't know. I it's good I mean if you're a if you're a manufacturer to always be selling out of whatever you've got, but if that means that you're losing potential sales, like that's that's super bad. So I don't know why. Like, in, in, considering this happened with the sisters' box, 
Uh, this has happened with all kinds of items. All the Age of Sigmar boxes. All the Age of Sigmar boxes yep. this happens. Basically, with every major release, they seem to be content to just blow out whatever stock they make, and that's good enough. And this one particularly, they knew it was a big deal. They said, hey, we got you guys. You can have as many boxes as you want. We've made so many of these, literally. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Like These are the words yeah. they're using. Like We have made boatloads was the words they used. Mm-hmm. And set the expectation that, you know, for retailers who, by the way, are hanging on by a thread in a lot of cases, I'm sure we're looking forward to this payday. And then days before um, the, the carpet gets pulled out, uh, they, they cut the amount of boxes that, that consumers were allowed to buy up front from six to three. And then I think down to one on the day of. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, and they also reduced significantly the amount that they were going to send to retailers uh, two or three days before things went go. So like yeah, retailers th- took Thursday. pre-orders Thursday, Thursday there you afternoon. Go. <laughs> retailers took pre-orders. They had, you know, clients that were excited. They were going to maybe be in the black for the first time in three or four months. And that all went away real fast. So whoever's doing this projection, whoever's trying to manage the supply of these sets, um, probably needs to go back to whatever retail store they were working at and they need to get somebody to uh to do this job properly because they're not doing a good job yeah i think the messaging is the real problem here because we're in the middle of a global pandemic it's easy to forget but it's still happening and it's still fucking up supply chains everywhere so in that sense i can understand that like they're having some supply hiccups and that's a problem and okay i can forgive all of that but to tell people, no, 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 you can order as much as you want. We're just making a billion of them. And then to backtrack on it is an incredibly bad look for a company of any size to say nothing of a gigantic multinational corporation. Um, there's no excuse for that. They knew what their supplies were going to be. They knew how much they had. As Val so said, I, they assuming... should have known what... Yeah their expected sales were i'm assuming they didn't survey until very late in the game to be like oh do we actually have enough (laughs) yeah i but but there's no excuse for that that means someone absolutely dropped the ball somewhere along the way correct also yeah and you're exactly right it's gw is getting too big for marketing forecasting to be this big of a problem i mean yeah they're they're heading into megacorp range, and um, this is the kind of stuff where it creates a lot of unnecessary frustration. Yeah, they've very carefully crafted a release schedule of information so that what they released officially that ninth was coming out how long ago now a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right around there. They've been very carefully um, putting out information to keep the excitement level as high as possible about ninth. Mm-hmm. which is all very professionally done. It's excellent. But then to turn around and have the starter set with the most popular army in it um, not have enough kits, especially to their third-party stores that rely on them for income, um, I hope that they learn from this and it's something that a year from now we're forgetting this part of GW. So... So I've got a couple. Uh, I've got a couple arguments. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. There's just one thing to to Sean's point. I think. Look, I don't think you can understate. 
it is easy to forget that we're in like super unprecedented times here. Supply chains are all messed up. That is all super true. But uh, what month is it? It's July. We can probably safely assume they expected to launch this in June, which means we can safely expect that these things were in production or January. already made in January. Oh, yeah. Easily. So this, I mean, th this is a pre-COVID screw up for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's 100% a pre-COVID. Um, just even looking at, at the projections that they're giving us for, um, for uh, this year. Right, they're saying. I, I guarantee you, they're trying to print these suckers as fast as possible, and they're saying that we'll get them in December. Yeah, which which is already that's five months. That's five months away, um, which is maybe a, maybe sped up. Maybe it'll slow down even more because of COVID. I don't know, but all of the kind of thought I put into it leads me to believe that this was something that was handled maybe just right before like like COVID, but um, definitely not like during covid shutdowns so um yeah well, absolutely I mean, correct there yeah if you're yeah. managing like the production on this stuff i mean the decisions for how many to order would probably be something like this time last year you yes. know like when they yeah. were actually locking in everything and getting things ready to go it was a long ass time ago and uh yeah, yeah so yeah the yeah i agree i agree val um i agree 100 percent. but uh it, you know what's done is done with that one thing that i was that really disappointed by was that gw had the infrastructure in place to handle something like this like why didn't they bring mm. all jimmy workshop out you know back from the uh covid uh release web store release you know put everyone in a queue line them up sell the box uh they could have done something like that they could have um you know told everyone hey the website's going to crash, so we're going to maybe sell it somewhere else or maybe give even more retailers. You know, it, I think the James Workshop thing is probably the best thing they could have done. They could have just had old Jimmy Workshop go in there on a YouTube video and just say, this box is it's crazy. We've got a boatload. We, they could have even had him standing on a yacht surrounded by Indominus boxes and just like had him explain the situation. Anyways. I yeah. have your the Indominus box. Come and get me. <laughs> Anything. It's the they have the infrastructure in place to deal with a problem like this. And this problem, it's a good problem. Um, you know, it's definitely a step in the direction of like wizards of the coast esque sales and wizards of the coast esque demand. Um, th this kind of stuff happens all the time in, in magic, the gathering um, mm -hmm. just last year, they had the mythic edition boxes, which were of similar issues. They had a very limited amount. Um, th they sold it eBay on eBay twice eBay crashed both times. People were complaining, you know, it was a shit show, uh, to just put it bluntly. Um, and then before that, they put it on their own website as well. Same thing. High demand product crashed instantly. Um, and Wizards of the Coast had to just rewind and handle it, you know, in a different way. So this isn't, this isn't something, a new problem for companies to handle. Food for right? thought. So, so a, a company like Wizards or Nike. Sure. Both, yeah. both examples. Um, I suspect they very purposefully limit supply. Um, and there, there's something to be said, and there was apparently a controversial article on Frontline Gaming that's no longer there, about the scalper <laughs> thing and driving interest in the game. And, you know, sometimes you want to have products that are hard to get so that it drives up cachet for, for your launch or whatever. Do we think there's any chance that this stuff no. is is purposeful? No. So, so uh, you're right, Val. But when Wizards drives, 
you know, um, demand for a specific product, it's almost always a limited pre- premium collector's product, which you could argue that's what they called Indominus Box, right? They, they said it right out of the gate. This is a limited release project. It's the, the creme de la creme of starter box sets, but that's what it was, a starter box set. No other starter box set was limited at all on release of a new edition. Dark Imperium, Dark Vengeance, even the fucking Dark Eldar, excuse my language, I'm sorry, the, <laughs> the Dark Eldar Space Marine box set, third edition, you know, it, Dark Vent, Dark Imperium, excuse me, was still being sold up to a month ago. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it, they should. there's no reason why this box should be limited release at all. Like, zero. It's not, uh, you know, uh, core rulebook sucker edition you know um like what they have on their website which they they do and that's that's fine those you can limit the siege of terra to 1000 copies all signed and kissed by gav thorpe himself you know like that's okay that that's they they have experience with those but that's not what the indominus box should have been and they tried marking it like that it just doesn't work this is supposed to be a new person's introduction to your game not uh something for a whale and so what a whale is is a consumer who has a lot of money to throw at things so you you um make these big products magic does this all the time they make this big expensive product for for your whales for the people who want to spend a lot of money to have the cool unique thing right the the uh as val might call them the suckers right but um that's those products are okay but that's not what the Domus box should have been should but like what I'm not saying is what I'm saying is like maybe it shouldn't be that and I th- and th- they did say that it was limited and this is also when it was first uh, revealed it was mm-hmm. positioned as this is for the players like people who already play the game this uh, is for all you guys out there we packed it with so much we packed it with so much stuff we didn't even put in dice it's just got a rule book because this is for people who already have dice <laughs> and and so like that's why I'm wondering like. Could like Brandon Sean? Do you think there's any chance that this is somewhat purposeful? I guess maybe not, because they have since replied by it, we're going to print a whole bunch more. But yeah, you know, it doesn't so. feel like this is a purposeful move. Um, just because, like in the end, GW is not the one who's making the money off of all of this. Like they sold out all their boxes, but they were going to sell that many boxes anyways because people were going to buy them all anyways. Um, if they had printed twice as many boxes, they would have made twice as much money. Because um, it's not as though this is priced at a point that is out of keeping with the other starter boxes. So unless their intention was to garner ill will from people who missed out on getting a box, it doesn't seem like that the lines up with what's occurred here. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, what do you think? It seems to me that um, the way it was marketed is everyone who wants one will be able to get one, and that clearly didn't happen. So that's where all the hurt feelings are coming from. If it was like when they re-released that boarding action board game, Terminators versus Gene Steeler called Space Hulk. Hulk. (laughs) So they re-released that, and they basically said, we've made a few of these games. If you get your hand on one, great. We're not making it ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they said that with the Indominus box, yeah, there'd be a frenzy to buy them. But if your local gaming store didn't get any, it's like, well, it was rare. They didn't really want to print that many. That was the expectation. So Titanicus last summer was like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So yeah, basically, the if, they, is... if they expected to sell out this quickly, they should have marketed it as it's a limited box. Uh, we don't expect everyone to get one, and we're going to limit it to one box per purchase. Yeah, yeah, they, it's definitely botched marketing as well. Um, uh, I don't want to de- beat this topic with a dead horse. Was there any kind of new <laughs> fresh takes that any of you wanted to add before we move on? I think we've beaten this dead horse repeatedly. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into the next thing. So uh, I wanted to talk about another ninth edition release that uh, people were very torn on. Um, and that's the release of the app, right? So the, <laughs> I said a few episodes ago um, to the dismay of some people that the app was the single most important release, more important than even Plastic Sisters. And I still believe that. Um, yep. I think. <laughs> What's up, Val? No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, um, I still I still believe that firmly. So this app, there was a lot of hype built around this. This is something that 40k veterans and and more importantly, people who are on the fence about playing 40k, this is something that would make us all happy potentially. So they announced the app, and I'm I'm just gonna be honest. I actually really liked what they put out so far, but I know a lot of people didn't. So I'm going to stay neutral, and I want to talk about the discussion around the pros and cons of how they went about announcing the app's features, um, some of the like the prices. Um, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on on that? What are you guys' thoughts on the uh, subscription fee? Um, what do you kind of project the app to be? Where its role is? Um, how Battlescribe is going to fare? Uh, just you know, what are your thoughts about that? Anyone anyone wants to start off with that? Sure. Um, so we talked about this months ago, and I'm super excited about what this app can potentially become over time. Because with technology, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the big things that made the Tesla vehicle so attractive for owners is that if you had a software bug in your car, um, your car always was connected to a Wi-Fi, and they would just download a hotfix while you were sleeping, and your car would be fixed in the morning. That's super exciting. So this app is not um, like a book. Once the book is released, that's it. You own this this thing that's stuck in time. But with a digital app, they can always be adding to it. They can always be improving it. They can always be adding more features or accessibility. Um, so... I feel like it's only going to become more valuable over time. So I'm excited about seeing what it has to offer, number one. Number two, um, a monthly fee is not really a big deal. Um, There's a lot of monthly fees that we already pay in our everyday lives. I know, for example, I have a gym membership, although with COVID shutting down all the gyms, um, I hope they stay in business while they're closed down, in my state anyway. but if the app is providing a lot of convenience and is of comparable cost that we would have been spending on all these other supplements, um, like the Psychic Awakening books, um, new army books, um, chapter approved every year. So if you are already buying a $40 book every year on average, you're not really spending anything different on this app. And if the app is more than a codex, it's a living, breathing app that is going to have more and more features over time. I'm definitely excited about it because 
It represents Games Workshop moving into the 21st century and providing the opportunity to provide real-time games uh, updates and balance patches, essentially, to the game. So if there is a tournament like Adepticon, where they are normally paying attention and making balance updates, um, they can roll it out and then everyone knows because everyone's using the app. Like the day after the tournament, they can be like, yep, the tournament confirmed our suspicions or uh, we made these changes because of this and we're going to see how it goes. Um, so everyone will always be on the same page instead of scribbling in the margins of my codex every time that the points are updated because that unit was five points, now it's eight points, now it's seven points, and you just have to keep updating things. No, it's a digital document. So anyway, in my mind, it's a positive change, and to be honest, it's optional. You don't have to use it. So if you're still a fan of the new book smell that you get when you open the book that's full of how to paint your army and all the army lore tidbits, um, and you really like having it in your hands, great, keep doing that. You don't need to buy the app. Um, so yeah. I, I'm just excited about it. I don't know what you guys think. All right, Sean, I, Val, I think I, I need to uh, take the negative to that argument. I, I have a few, but Sean oh. hasn't spoke for a while. So you get in there, but okay. I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I can take the negative case on this one pretty easily. <laughs> we admittedly don't know everything about the app yet. Obviously there is a lot still undiscovered and we don't know how GBW is going to handle it going forward or any of that. So we're, we're working off limited information here, but from what they've said so far, it is a monthly subscription fee to have access to the sort of features and all this sort of stuff of the app, which there is like a free version as well. That's fine. That's probably good. But if you want to have the rules text for a book, you have to pay the monthly subscription fee and buy a physical copy of the book to unlock the code that lets you use that. So you're not you're not paying a monthly subscription fee to get this stuff. You're still paying for all those books and supplements you had to pay for before. It's just now you're also paying an additional five to ten bucks a month, depending on your local exchange rates um, to have access to that stuff digitally, which kind of feels like the worst of both worlds to me. Um You've still got to pay for a book, but now you have another thing you have to pay for in a different format if you want to be able to use this book digitally. Okay. And I know why they did it, but I don't feel like that's a very good way to go with it. So, so I think the incomplete picture is part of this, but just to sort of get what like everything straight that we do know, mm -hmm. um, it's so out of the gate there. Yeah, there's the free and the subs subscription model. Uh, right. Comes with the the free version comes with the core rules and it says that you can access um, your codex and your supplements with a code that's provided with the book. So that means at minimum that then this is big digital versions of codexes now are included with the cost of a hard copy book. Not the case sure. right now. You got to pay for both. So yeah. that's cool. I don't know what me what it means by what the difference there is between rep, between access your codexes and supplements with codes and reference all your rules fast, which is a subscriber feature. Um, and then the uh, other cool thing, no doubt, that's going to make this thing worthwhile, and I think this is how they're going to try and get people on board early in the game, is you get all the 8th edition versions of everything with your subscription out of the gates. Right. So I think this thing is, to Brandon's point, is designed to hopefully over time increase uh, its amount of features. Like the example, Brandon used the example of a Tesla. 
Um, but my thought was like the first time I noticed this sort of a thing going on was the original Xbox 360. And if you look at the Xbox 360 that you would have bought on launch day versus what an Xbox 360 could do at the end of its life cycle, they were two completely different machines. It wasn't just that they fixed things about it, it's that they added incredible amount of features, firmware, all that kind of stuff. It was a better machine at the end than it was at the beginning just because it was updated over time. We're going to see that with this app. Um, the thing, though, about like... It it does unlock the ability for for a living rule set. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what we're going to see unless you know there's a big uptake and and GW realizes the benefit of that. This is still something driven by their print cycle, the incredible lag between design and implementation. Um, you know, there's there's never going to be a rule in here that isn't first printed. Uh, and then and then out. So we're still going to have those lags and it's still going to be driven by books because they're afraid of cannibalizing that market. So unless there's a big uptake mm -hmm. in this, and I assume there's going to be a massive uptake, um, you know, it's probably gonna be a little while before we see this as being the main way you get your rules and the books are for people who want them, which is essentially how Black Library works. Black Library is a successful publisher because they do the bespoke white whale type stuff. They do things that make owning a book special, and that's the, like the unique. They, they really lean into the uniqueness of a book. Black Library is actually a cool publisher. Period. Outside of Warhammer and all that kind of stuff, they're kind of neat for making books work in this day and age. But for whatever reason, the studio hasn't caught on to that. They still think the book. If they stop selling codexes, they're going to lose all that money. They're going to leave it on the table, and they're going to they're going to screw themselves and give it away for too little. And I think that that culture needs to shift and. We'll only see over time whether or not they start to get that with this with this app. Mm. Yeah, um, I agree with actually. I agree with all of you. Uh, I think Sean has Sean kind of is um, mirroring what the rest of the negative um, people about the or people who are maybe um, negative about the app, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it's important to look at the app with a healthy dose of criticism and praise. Um, for me. Uh, to stay kind of neutral, um, I think we need to determine... There's three things that we kind of need to determine the app's worth that make it really, really worthwhile that um, should hold all of our expectations and decisions about how we feel about the app. Um, the first is the army builder. Obviously, it needs to yeah. be a really good army builder. It needs to have a good UI. It needs to be uh, functional. It needs to be something we've never maybe necessarily had before. Very user-friendly. Um which I personally think is going to be the case, but we don't know. It could be it could be awkward and clunky. Um, but the army builders, I think it's one of its biggest selling points. Also, um, Val kind of alluded to this, but by being able to buy a digital codex on the app, we need to look at the price of that. So right now, if you wanted to go on EPUB, uh, if you wanted it's to go not on... that you buy it on the app, it's that your your physical codex comes with a code no, that no, you no. then unlock in so, the app. So there's actually a little a little tidbit that Mike Brandt put in there. Uh, talking about in-app purchases, and you kind of have to like read between the lines there. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but to me, in-app purchases and being able to download your codex is like a seamless transition, right? Like, so if, let's say this app uh, goes off, and then the first ninth edition codex comes out, why wouldn't you be able to just download a digital-only copy on the app immediately? for like half the price. You're already selling EPUB electronic versions of codexes only on their website for cheaper than what codexes are going for. A $40 codex is actually $34.99 digitally. If you could, if if uh, GW did something like 
15 bucks for a codex and it's on your app forever instead of 40 bucks for a codex with the code and then the app sells more codexes and makes more money than than the you know their codexes i think that's that'd be amazing now obviously i don't know i don't know if that that'll happen or not that's just pure speculation on my part but that's something i'm personally waiting for is what are my in-app purchases going to get me i don't care about the physical copy codex physical codex copy i care about being able to download an, my opponent's admet codex while he's explaining like his rules to me in the middle of a game quickly like if you can do that i think this app is worth its weight in bits in download size i don't know but th the point is is that i think it i think it would be really cool and then the third thing with the app is of course um how out of the gate how much stuff are they going to add in um i think actually it's worth it for five dollars for the first couple months if you're going to events or if you're playing because it does have all those eighth edition rules yeah so you're getting like 30 codexes for free like you're getting faqs for free you're getting uh for five dollars you're getting a feel for what this app is going to do for you in the future so if they if you if they come out of the gate and this app is amazing and it shows you how how awesome it is to have every codex uh in an app and, and ready to go updated um that that's cool so those are the three things i'm looking for before i make final judgments um i'm actually with val i don't think that this is going to be a living rule set unfortunately so sorry not Brandon. yet not yet that'll uh, take it, that'll take years of this thing yeah um and i, I yeah i agree with sean too i think i think the five dollar especially if they're charging like 34.99 for a codex for a digital copy of the codex like what the epub price is i think that feels really bad um you know i'm I want to, if I could hop on the other side of this, because it's something that I think is understated, uh, which is to me, a digital version of the hard copy book is more valuable than the hard copy book. Like I, I played a game of ninth the other mm -hmm. day and I was trying to friggin' find aggressors and invector warsuits in my codex. <laughs> and it just, it was so aggravating that I couldn't just immediately know the information. So like the, now that it's going to be digitized, hopefully optimized as well for scrolling with your thumb and easily looking things up and linking between units and whatever like hopefully that means that it's going to be a better experience to be able to get to the rules that you want and to me that's an actual that's a value add and the the price of a book is not is not the book the price of a book is the the writer the the and all the professionals that it takes to create that content like if you if you get a if you get a subscription to the economist you can get a digital only subscription it's a weekly uh, magazine about economics and 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 business news and such. It's the same price for the digital and and the print. In fact, if you get the print, you get the digital, and you can go digital only if you like. But that just means you pay the same price and don't get the print. So I think that's that's really the thing. We're we're used to like the internet being free and like things that are digital being free, but content costs costs money to produce, not to print. So I think it if if you charge me the same amount for a codex in digital. And I didn't have to buy the codex. I'm not going to be upset about that. Yeah, well, Val, you're a whale. Sense. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. if, you bought know, the sucker it, edition. But that's just <laughs> it. If it's a digital document that's always updated, now you have this trade-off. I can have this physical copy that's fun to have and to hold, and you might like print media better than digital media. Or I can have the digital media, but it's always updated with the latest rules and FAQs. Yeah, I yeah. do think that is assuming a lot about what GW is willing to do with digital media 
they are still very resistant to that sort of sure. like constantly updating internet capable AOS all this has sort been of good thing. i think they're getting a lot better they've come a long ways from where they used to be but they still feel very hesitant about embracing a uh we'll say a a strong online presence or digital update model hmm. Yeah, AOS. I actually think AOS did it pretty brilliantly, where they um, they gave everyone the War Scrolls for free. Um, because as someone who's kind of new to AOS again, um, mm-hmm. I've just been looking up the War Scrolls on their website and just kind of like looking at the units that I want, mm-hmm. um, and then using that to make my decision for buying into factions, um, which has been really really useful for me. Um, and I wish kind of 40k did something like that, but. Anyways, um, yeah. if I could actually, if I could just highlight, like on on that point, Sean, like right now, there's actually apparently a little bit of a kerfuffle going on in AOS land because the uh, the general's handbook just launched, and normally the day of launch, all the stuff gets updated in their app, and all the FAQs get updated, mm-hmm. but it's been delayed because yeah. I think all of their coder monkeys are working as hard as they can on the 40k <laughs> app. So none of so the AOS app I think for the first time in a while is actually out of date whereas they've been pretty good about it before now. Yeah, I think you're, I yeah. I heard similar things Val. Um I don't know. I I'm I'm in the camp of believe in Brant. Um Mike Mike Brant the guy in charge of the app and in charge of um GW events. Uh I I think that um you know, he's a smart guy and uh, you know, he's going to listen to the community and do what he can to make the app the best it can be. Um, and more importantly, I'm so excited for what this app sh- tells GW, right? Yes. You know, like uh, maybe because because one thing I liked about a digital copy of the codex is, um, especially on an app, is you can condense it down to just the rules and the points. Like, And then if they make more money on that than their actual hard copies, it might show GW again even though this has been pounded into, it should be been pounded into uh, their minds that rules sell. People want to buy into the game side of 40k. There's a reason why the Space Marine Codex sells significantly better than the Gene Circle Codex, right? Um, or or maybe Tau sell better. Anyways, you get my point. Um, so I think I hope that this app shows them that, uh, and it shows them a correlation between, you know, rules and selling models which in turn might make might let let them put more money into the rules team and the game side of 40k which they still need to do oh, they yeah. need to Fe- hire more people future fu- the future state of this is everything that brandon said and more like i mean if they put in and i again this is something that i was hoping for out of the box but i'm sure it'll come later uh if they put in you know it's it makes me upset every time there's a there's a a, a form that they include that you can photocopy sometimes uh, and you know, write your army roster. Well, that's, that's not that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, Crusade Crusade should be an app. You know, you should be tracking your army in Crusade. You should be able to take photos of the like. Your imagination can run wild with what they can do with an app. And hopefully, this is just the beginning. Yeah, Brant is an excellent guy to name drop here because uh, he's also only come on uh, come on the scene very recently. So. Uh, if he's got any oversight to this, he probably took over the project midstream. Um, so, you know, his influence hopefully is felt more and more as time goes on. But, um, yeah, I think the the potential for the app is huge. I think that's why I was a bit cautiously pessimistic when I first uh, saw the announcement, because I expect so, so much from it. And hopefully they get there. 
All right. So let's talk about this ninth edition rollout. Um, they have we've had faction art. I think all the faction articles are up now. Um, I can't think of a faction that they're missing. Um, you know, they had community people writing the faction articles, talking about them in ninth edition. Um, from my kind of personal perspective they weren't super informative and that might just be due to the nature of what the people can talk about in ninth edition um but uh you know it, there's more eyes on on this edition than there have been even in eighth edition eighth edition this podcast blew up um the kind of the game blew up gw stock blew up and i didn't think it was possible but there's more on my eyes on ninth edition than there was in eighth edition so what that means is is we're bringing more new people into the game. Uh, more YouTubers and internet personalities are starting to take note of Warhammer 40k in the version in the the um, respect to like a Star Days that that movie we had that uh, Magikarp used Fly channel that showed people how to get into Warhammer 40k, um, albeit a little extremely, um, but. They, they still showed everyone how to get into 40k, how to play on 40k on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, we have, you know, um, magic YouTubers like Ben or uh, Kenobi. Um, oh my gosh, I'm Pleasant Kenobi uh, jumping into uh, 40k. And he's not the only one. I've seen other people kind of just like taking note of 40k uh, in the Total War scene, in the magic scene. Um, and there, there's just more eyes on the game. And GW's aware of it. They they said so like today in in the warmer community page. They said that there's more people than ever than they even um, kind of expected. So where do you all three of you kind of see, how do you see GW handling this uh, in the future or in the near future? And do you think they're handling it well? Because it's clear that they're going through some growing pains, and it's also clear that the game is growing massive in popularity and will only continue to grow as they add more awesome stuff to their ip like a netflix special or whatever have you so how are they handling this massive growth and how do you think they'll handle it in the near future this episode is brought to you by hp instant ink no one is reading your mind but hp instant ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges so you never have to think about ink save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Bueller. Bueller. Any, okay. Oh, um, sorry. I, I, sorry. I, I think I DC'd. <laughs> Oh, did you? Yeah, I think so. Anyways, go on. Sorry, Val well, first. I, I can still hear you. Uh, so I'll hop in there. Um, I think, you know, supply side issues, um, you know, we've touched on. Uh, there's another big one I think we'll get to later. But in general, you know, with that slow rollout for existing players of the game, I think it was super excruciating. And I remember this a lot from the 8th edition rollout, too. Of the, Just give me the rules. And on top <laughs> of that, like, we're all sort of certainly less able to do a lot of things, even though it's summertime. So, you know, people were able to obsess a little bit more about this one, but that slow rollout, um, I think is essentially designed so that is, you know, there's the, there's a beacon that is going out to anyone who might be 40 K curious 
or Warhammer curious, it gives the most amount of time possible for anyone who is like, you know, 8th edition looks cool, but I'm not going to get in just yet. Because, like, for us, we know literally everything that happens as it happens. And it's not the case for the millions of people who know what Warhammer is. Um, so they need to extend that message out over a long period of time so as many people know about this happening as humanly possible. Um, and I think that gets a lot of people to check back in, which is probably why maybe they didn't see what was about to happen. But overall, I think they are handling um, their uh, growing popularity fairly well. The question is, can they do the things that people expect from, you know, modern content and, and games fast enough? Can they adjust fast enough? We were just talking about the app. Can the app meet people's expectations fast enough bef that they don't get turned off from it? Hmm. My suspicion is yes, um, because people put up with a lot of shit with this game, which is one of the fascinating things I have about it. Like, the game fundamentally is a little bit bizarre that anyone plays it, in my opinion, because there's so many barriers to playing it. Um, but the other thing, too, is that um, I think... Um, that they've also done a really good job for the first time ever that I've seen, if you go to the, the Warhammer 40,000 jump page, of of framing Warhammer 40,000. It's not just a game or not just models, not just hobbying, um, but also books, games, the whole the whole gamut of the ways that you can inter interact with, with Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000. That is the thing that I think really makes them go huge, including the Netflix special or Amazon or whoever produces Eisenhorn if that happens. You know, so... I think actually they are doing a pretty good job of not only managing their popularity, but increasing it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Brandon and Sean, what do you, what do you both think? Uh, I'll keep it short. I couldn't agree more. Um, again, months ago we were talking about all the things GW could be doing and they're doing so much of it right now. And yes, they're slow rolling the release for exactly the reasons we were talking about you got to build the excitement you got to get the word out to all the people who aren't following the warhammer community news because they're going to hear about it through the grapevine and get new people into the game um even personally there's people that i've known for years um who just now are figuring out oh wait you play this game called warhammer i'm just getting into that um so the game is definitely growing in popularity whatever they're doing is working um so in terms of growing the game, they're doing the right thing. In terms of, I have high hopes for the app. I think it's not going to be perfect right out of the box, but nothing technology-wise ever is. And I'm excited to see what they have to offer and what direction they take it. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Sean. I was going to say, I, I think they're starting to realize that one of the strengths they have is the community. Um, because Warhammer has, uh, kind of as, uh, Peter and Brandon already mentioned, like, it has a lot of people invested in different parts of it, and that's good, like, it has a lot of reach already, uh, but GW is starting to realize that they can use that sort of, like, broad cultural awareness and knowledge, uh, to turn that into the things they want, which is name money, um, and they're starting to get that, although I think they're still kind of groping around in the dark a little bit. Although, to be fair, most companies are. Like, how to leverage your online presence and uh, broad awareness of the brand into something useful is not, like, 
a thing that a lot of companies have down pat at this point. So in terms of like exploring untouched ground, I think they're doing pretty all right for themselves there. Yeah. Um, I agree with you all uh, to kind of play um, a little bit of devil's advocate. Uh, I think that they could maybe doing a little bit, maybe do a little bit more to get new players into the game. Um, and what I mean by that specifically is when you're playing this game, when you're in your 40k bubble, as we all are, all of us, uh, even GW to an extent, the people who write the rules and um, write their uh, wonderful stories, is that we know so much more information than the average person. Like even like the most casual of casual 40k players who put their 500 point, you know, kind of kill team Lego man plastic unpainted space marine army on the board even they know like what a space marine is what a bolt gun looks like what a melta gun might look like the a captain they know so much more information than what the average person can even even fathom and that's kind of the that's kind of a general true sense of nerddom in general right that's why it's the reason why your your parents might be like oh star wars is for kids or like i don't understand that lord of the rings stuff you know, um, it, it, as geeks, as nerds, we jump into these these passions, these lores, these hobbies, and, and we immerse ourselves. We learn as much as we can. We soak up every bit of information like a sponge. And 40K is no different. 40K has a lot of information that you need to learn as just to have even a baseline to develop the passion to play the game, to give GW money, right? And I think... Just by reading some of the new people uh, who are getting into Warmer 40k from like those YouTube videos and the, the looking at the comment section, there's this kind of like general feel about Warhammer of this is a very inaccessible hobby, right? Like, uh, and yeah. <laughs> and GW is fighting against years and years and years of um, misunderstanding about codexes, how expensive it is to get. It, how expensive it is to get into the game um in balance you know because if if uh, the competitive the casually competitive people are like a year behind in the meta the people who've never played 40k are several years behind where we are right so they're they're seeing what um the negative aspects of gw like from four years ago and th this is true even of like youtubers as uh, so one of my favorite youtubers who's a magic youtuber who um, doesn't play Warmer 40k. Uh, his name is the Professor of Tolerian Community College. He's really famous. Mm. Whenever he talks about Warmer 40k in passing, using it as an analogy or an example to um, kind of talk about magic in his uh, in his videos, he always talks about it from like in like a fifth edition GW, like you know Dark Ages GW perspective. Um, and when he says that, he's relaying that to his hundreds and hundreds of thousands of viewers. Right, so when he says something like, "Oh, GW doesn't know how to balance their game; it's overcosted," that might be true, to be fair. But they've done a better job in Eighth Edition than they have in the past. He's going; he's looking at it from a perspective of when he learned about 40k in Fifth Edition, or what he's heard from a buddy who played in Sixth Edition once, got stomped by a Centurion Death Star, and then never played the game again. Right, so GW's fighting against all that, and I don't think they're doing a good enough job to get new players to see beyond that. Um, I think so. Like, uh, I think that was a lot to do with 
you know, now that they get the eyeballs, can they deliver is, mm-hmm. is the big question and, and meet expectations. Because I think anyone who says that this is a hard game to get into is 100% right. Yep. Um, it is silly hard to get into this game. However, it is so satisfying. And if I think Games Workshop is starting to realize that no matter how they do it, as long as they get a little hook into into somebody who likes sci-fi or has an imagination or, you know, like just is looking for any of the number of ways that they can they can just totally take over that part of your life. They're realizing that they are equally valuable, whatever whatever the hook is. It's valuable, and that's and that might get them to play the, the the board game, or it might get them to play a video game, and then buy a bunch of Black Library novels. It might, you know, whatever it might be. That's 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 the thing. So yeah, I'll mention, as long as you can get the hook in, the the longer you're engaging, the more you're willing to do, and the more you're willing to compromise on. Uh, you know, maybe it's not so hard to glue models together. I'll mention you know, et that historically, yes, the bar was really high for entry because unless you got a starter set, there was really no way to get into 40k. But that's been changing for years now. We've had plenty of 40K-based video games, so you didn't mm-hmm. even have to play a tabletop game or go into a comic book store to see the miniatures. You could be aware of the lore just from playing the Dawn of War series of games back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I go to Barnes & Noble, and they have Space Marine Adventures, the recon mission board game, where it just comes with some Space Marine miniatures, which you are supposed to be able to paint, and you play this little game, and it looks like um, you can just buy this box for your kids and play them with them, and they don't have to understand 40K. They don't have to understand anything. It's just, ooh, these cool spacemen miniatures, and I can play a game with them. And it's not 40K. It's oversimplified. It's cards. You don't even have to paint the miniatures if you don't want to. Um, but that's how they get you started. It's all these little hooks like you're talking about where it's not 40K anymore. The board game that we're playing competitively, it's all these other things that are part of the 40k franchise. Uh, so, um, uh, Sean, did you have anything out of that? Because I've got a mental exercise we can all play real fast. No, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Okay, so to to that point, Brandon, um, and let's play a little mental exercise just really quick. Think back to the days when you first found out about Warmer 40k or the first time you really decided i'm going to make this plunge i'm going to play this game just think back for some of you listening it might be a very very long time so take pause the video take a moment think back to that for me it was my friend hunter who took me into his garage showed me these cool miniatures and then took me to my local gaming store game empire in san diego showed me more people playing the game and then when I got super, super invested and realized I really wanted to do this, Frontline Gaming, who at the time was only running their second LVO, but was at the time the competitive 40K people, right? The ITC, the tournament circuit, those are the three things that just like within a 48-hour period, I binged. Those are the three things that got me into that game, into this game. All right, so now that you've got what you think about, what you what got in, got you into the game, how much did GW help those things that got you into the game? For me, it was none. They didn't help my local gaming store. They're still not doing a great job helping local gaming stores right now. They didn't help my friend Hunter. You know, they, they definitely raised prices, made it hard for him to sustain his hobby. He doesn't play really much anymore, if at all. And and they didn't help the tournament scene. The Frontline Gaming did that. The ITC did that. And they've finally started doing that now. But in so imagine edition, what can happen. Right. It, it's 
you're right. You're right, Val. But they're they're not they're not there yet in terms of what they can do to help all those specific people. I, I in my opinion, I might be I might be wrong. There might be a ton of kids who are just like like GW's like here you go here's Black Library you know children's novels in all the all the like art book fairs or whatever actually no there's no book fairs going on right now at schools because schools are closed however in the UK um, they sponsor after school clubs yeah yeah they and I might be wrong um I'm only I can only unfortunately go off of my perspective and what I've seen so that's why um I kind of want to know what you all think like after you did your kind of quick little mental exercise about how you got into the game. How much did Jodobi help you actually get into the game versus how much was it something else that was unrelated to GW? Um, so, anyways, um, Val, Sean, Brandon, what do you guys think? Just, just real quick, maybe like how you got into the game. Word of mouth. 100% word of mouth, Brandon? Yeah, I didn't see an ad for it. In fact, the first 40k game I ever played was on graph paper. Mm. <laughs> I, of course he was. <laughs> No joke. <laughs> That's um, Brandon Grant, everybody. Because we didn't have the models. I'm like, what is this game? And the, my friend's telling me about this. So we, I'm like, okay, let's play a game on graph paper. After mm-hmm. that, he's like, no, the next game we're having to use models. I'm like, okay. So then I went and bought some models. <laughs> what about you, Bob? Fine. Um, well, I think, first of all, a lot of what you just said relates a lot to that YouTuber thing that you were saying before, which is like, you came into the game when the game was literally kept alive by the people who loved it. It was like a, mm-hmm. it was like a, a a really niche show that got canceled and then came back on Netflix. You know, like it's, it's it was sort of like that. Um, I think nowadays, though, if you were to start interacting with with Warhammer, you'd find a a pretty tongue in cheek and friendly social media presence. Um, so if someone said Games Workshop doesn't care, you could go to Warhammer Community and be like, well, I don't know, they seem kind of funny and. The voice feels like it likes me, you know, <laughs> like mm. it, it seems engaged and, and responsive and all the things that, you know, a new you know customer might might find and, and interact with would seem pretty positive. A lot of the YouTube content when it used to be all just friggin awful. I hate Games Workshop. They ruined my life and slept with my girlfriend like <laughs> It, it was it was like just brutally toxic nowadays there's nothing but like it's very rare that like i see an internet video that's like really driven by some sort of negative hot take it happens like there was the sportsmanship thing last year but like it's pretty rare most of it is just like hey look at this cool new unit here's a strategy the lore the lore youtube channels and podcasts are in the millions of views yep so if you discover warhammer now it doesn't look like this weird sort of subculture of like why do you like this you have to do what it's like oh how can i get involved i think is probably more the angle if it gets a hook in you it's like okay well what can i do i can play that video game that brand grant just talked about you know like i read this book it's so cool you know whatever and there's so many people talking about it at all times so i don't know that's my take i think they are actually way better positioned to capture potential customers and get 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 them at least interested long enough for them to either buy something or interact with something and be excited yeah i, I agree with that I, I agree that they're in a much better position i i think maybe they're not doing it as efficiently as they could but oh sure you, you know sean yeah. what do you think i think that they're doing a good job of getting people sort of like rolled into the the parts of Warhammer that are like, hey, do you have you heard about this thing? It's this whole universe, and you know, it's got a lot of uh, 
people talking about it and people reference, you know, DACA and all this sort of stuff. Like that's <laughs> that's way bigger than Warhammer itself. And that's a good thing for them. Um, and they are like there are, you know, all these YouTube channels and streamers and stuff like that that are, that GW is doing a pretty decent job of like helping to support and, and spread the word. I think where they're failing is when it comes to actually entering the game. If you want to get into the Warhammer universe, it's very easy. There's guys who will explain the lore to you. There's wiki sites you can look up. There's books you can read. There's all kinds of great resources. If you want to start playing the game, you are in for a challenge. Because not only are you going to have to sink bare minimum like $250, $300 into it, um you're going to have to learn to build those models and then you're going to have to learn all these rules and you know ninth edition is way simpler than seventh edition but it's still a monster for someone who does not already play war games it is not want. an easy game to step into yeah i think i think that's the thing though like it's 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 would any of us like the only person i've ever heard complain about it was uh was tom layton uh who 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 does commentary and hot takes on honest wargamer and he was complaining that eighth that ninth edition got leaked because now he's got to like do his homework basically <laughs> and to me and that made me think like was there ever a time where like i was like oh shit new rules came out i gotta read them no like oh man there's a new model <sighs> but it's it's like it's like there's it once it's once you once you got the fever you know, the only the only prescription is is more shit. And like they just shovel in India like their release schedule is designed to just keep you like constantly intrigued and like wanting to know what's next and like finding out shit. And and so it, it's not a burden once you're once you're hooked. If you look at it once you're rationally, hooked, though. <laughs> yes. And yes. And I what I'm saying is that they're doing a better job of hooking people. Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're hooking people with the universe. Definitely. The game is hooking people better than it did in the past, but in the past it was incredibly niche. So that's not actually saying a lot. Like going from 500 players to 1,000 players is not an incredible jump, even though you're doubling your player base. I think it's, it's, I would suspect it's a bigger jump than that. But I mean, even look at, so if you want to talk about like entry level stuff. Yeah, we're talking at it from, you know, the major leagues, if you will. We're talking about it from the 2000 point bleeding sure. edge meta armies <laughs> like like this is this is like as serious as you get about this game is the type of people who talk about this on this show and listen to this show right um, however if you just want if you if you played a warhammer game and you're like i want to try the tabletop version you can play kill team and it's a sick game the kill team is not a chumps game it is super good um sure there's, but there's i like, would also argue that it's not really all that I mean like monetarily yes it's easier than 40k rules wise not really any easier actually more complicated in some ways agreed yeah the way to get yeah. into 40k now the hook seems to be the whole uh role-playing crusade thing where you basically yeah. take a starter box and narratively play it into a bigger army which of course means you have to buy more models and paints they built an escalation league into 40k after friggin' 35 years, which is I know. Great. No, they, but they've it's built like 20 them. other. Because yeah, they built a bunch of different versions, but they've all been really bad. Especially okay. if you wanted to start a new army. I mean, escalation leagues are fun. Are you kidding? Like mm -hmm. I've done yeah. map-based campaigns before, yeah. and 
the role playing element isn't bad. Like doing doing yeah. a turn based campaign with multiple players can be super fun, especially when you have narrative elements in it and you're not really trying to be as hyper competitive if that's your style. That's a great way to be introduced to the actual part of 40k or, or the actual board game of 40k if you were someone who just enjoyed playing the games or reading the books. And you can start with just a patrol, you know, an HQ, mm -hmm. a troop, and maybe another thing that came with your starter box and go from there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think it's a great discussion. The, um, oh, do you mind if I, I wanted to throw one last thing in here? I think something that GW still doesn't really get, and I think this is maybe partly due to the fact that uh, there's a culture divide between how the people in uh, sort of Great Britain and all over there play games as opposed to how we play games in the United States, uh, which admittedly I don't have experience with Europe or any of those other places, so I can't really speak to a lot of what they do, but... In England, it's very much like it's all about clubs. They don't have independent game stores for the most part, or so is my understanding from having talked to people. Um, that's very much the opposite in the United States. Uh, over here, it is all about local game stores, and that's where most of your tournaments happen. That's where most of your play happens. There do exist clubs. I run a club in our town, but they are the exception, not the rule. And I think GW still hasn't really grasped a hold of that because they they keep trying to cut the the local game stores out because they think they can make more money without a middleman. Uh, and that might technically be true, but it's also sort of destroying their own player base when they do that because clubs are how people get into the game. Uh, you, you get into the game, you start and you keep playing the game because you have a community. Exactly. And without a local game store, there generally is not a community. To, yeah. Good, good. Can, I, can I just add one thing on there? Go ahead, Val. <laughs> this is because um, I think that is a super good point. And I don't know how, and Paulo is probably a whole other show, but I don't know how on the trade side of things, it, things have improved or not improved since... 8th edition and and sort of the new GW came out. I mean, they liberalized like web carts and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it has improved on some levels and Indominus Box notwithstanding. However, the, the thing to me is that most game shops in my neck of the woods do not have the floor space for a six by four table. So mm -hmm. if, to me, if there was one sign that they want to be in more stores, because the massive, the vast majority of game stores that and and cafes, like that's a big thing in my city too, uh, they're they're you know regular table size, so that's where like the kill teams, the war cry, war cries, the uh, you know uh, shade spires or underworlds. Those games are I think targeted at your your card shop type hobby places that aren't really hobby stores, but they're they're card shops. They have a little more limited table space, and you got to fit the game to those dimensions. Mm -hmm. and I think that's why you've seen literally them shrink the 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 the, the board size down. So it's not so it can fit on more tables and can literally fit in more uh, diverse amounts of stores. Specifically, I would say the Magic the Gathering bread and butter type shop. Mm. Yep, and that's that's their opportunity. If they want to get into more physical places, they've literally set themselves up so that now that they can physically now now their reps can go to probably twice as many, three times as many stores as they used to be able to go to because now they have games that they can actually put in that store. Yeah, I've got that's actually content for another episode. Um, but just to kind of briefly talk on that point, Val, um, I think that 
that might not be the best way to go about that. Just because, to me personally, it does feel like game stores are on the decline. If you look at um, just that, just that gen- general business model of the having to sell X amount of product and make a certain amount of money per every square foot of your store um, is very difficult to do, especially right now. Um, and it's not getting better with Amazon, with internet, um, and with to be frank, with um, the way large companies are treating retailers uh, like Wizards of the Coast and GW. Um, so, uh, you know, I I don't know. I agree. I think I think maybe that was a move to lower uh, lowering the borders. Maybe a move to make it easier, easily accessible for local game stores. Um, I just don't know if maybe that was the most efficient way to go about that, but. That, like I said, that's I could go on and on forever. Uh, we don't have time for that. So if you listen to this co- uh, conversation, you really liked it, uh, and you were new to the game of Warhammer 40k, that is, you took the plunge in the last like six months. Uh, please, please, I really want to hear from you. Tell me your story. Let me know in that comment section on YouTube, on FrontlineGaming.org, anywhere. Let me know how you got into the game. What were what were the hooks that hooked you into 40k and made you change, take the plunge, and now you own like 20 armies. Right, I, I know you exist because people are jo- new. People are joining this game all the time still, um, but you know, I think for research purposes, and I think just for my own personal curiosity, I would really love to know how people are getting into the game and if it's changed, um, or you know, since I I joined into the game, or if you know, it's still roughly the same. So, anyways, um, that's it. That's the end of the episode. Uh, was there any final thoughts on the topic, Val, Sean, Brandon, that you'd like to add on? Mm. All right. No. So <laughs> uh, at the end of every episode, if you're unfamiliar with Chapter Tactics, we do like to open the floor to patrons where they get to ask questions and we answer them live on air. Now, uh, normally I imagine uh, some of you leave around this time. However, the patron questions this, for this week are actually very good. They're very relevant to ninth <laughs> edition releases and the general feel and concerns and questions that people have around them. Things like the missions, the release schedule, etc., etc. So the questions are really good. And if you think that this episode was maybe missing a specific topic, um, I'm positive that the patrons asked that question for you, so we're going to answer them. So we're going to jump right into it. The first question, which I think is the a really good starter, and that's Paul is disappointed that the core rulebook missions are as great as um, he thinks they could be. So he wants to know, if the GW missions end up being unpopular, could you see a migration back to the ITC missions? Hmm. It's possible we don't really know very much about the the GW missions for the various point sizes that we're going to see. Um but the fact that they were designed like really heavily in concert with uh Reese from the ITC, Mike Brandt from Nova and, and all these other guys who have been spending a lot of time designing missions. I don't think it's very likely that we're going to see people avoiding using them because they're not good. We may see people see see some people using other missions just so they can do something different. Uh but that's a completely different case in terms of like why you would be changing things. Look, if if the Snowflake Snowflake tournament Adepticon has said <laughs> we're gonna use these missions, nah. I'm sorry. I'm, I think these missions are gonna be used, and also they're gonna be in the new GW framework. I.e., they can get errated. You know, like if if there's a secondary that sucks, 
If there's a, if there's, you know, a, an unbalanced element of it, certainly they're going to get refreshed every year in a chapter approved type update like they were in eighth. Just no one used them. Um, right. But there's also the opportunity for interim changes or tweaks as things go on. So, yeah, I think these are the missions and I, I'm, I'm all for it. Mm. Well, also, also not the rulebook missions. There's a grand tournament edition coming out uh, with the rulebook launch. I think that's where we're going to see whatever the actual, um, you know, competitively tuned missions are. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think Val's right. Uh, I, I don't foresee a shift away from the GW missions for all the major um, tournaments. Uh, and I rarely say this or admit to this, um, but I'm going to say it now. A lot of people follow what frontline gaming does with the tournaments. Um, it's just a trend. It happens. It, it leads to a lot of animosity towards the ITC in general. Um, but so far from what um, we've talked about and from what Risa said publicly, we're going to be using the GW missions for the frontline gaming events. Um, and the ITC champion missions are still going to be in the mission packet. But if you, if history is any indication, they're probably going to be forgotten about like the, 24 other missions currently in the current packet right um people just they do tend to go for the missions that um the major events use or the ones that we use so uh yeah i agree with val um next question comes from patron tim in our current situation um with the general unhappiness due to covid and the lack of tournaments etc is the complaining and unhappiness being magnified beyond normal uh, short um, answer, I don't think so. I think <laughs> think we just complain. I think that just happens. That's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of that, and with the beginning of every edition, there's a lot of whining. It's a classic 40k pastime, is to whine. <laughs> you know, I, I've also found the uh, the solution to that, because I, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of whining, but I also um, left every single sub-faction group I was a part of, and I unfollowed competitive 40k. So, oh. I just don't see it. I did the and, same thing, Val. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I just I did the same thing a long time ago. I, I actually left competitive 40k. I stayed away from DACA, stayed away from Reddit. What kind of brought me back was the podcast um, and trying to grow it. So I, I wanted to jump back into the community to kind of just get a pulse on what it looks like. Um, but yeah. yeah. I still talk like the thing that is uh, the impressions I get are from people like who I you know play with, who interact with me on, on like my Facebook page, um, podcasts generally speaking, have a much more positive tone than they used to. So I just, I hear, I hear a lot more constructive criticism now than outright whining. Cause usually it's just, <laughs> I don't get those people and it's not worth your time. So if you're finding that the, the world seems very toxic and awful, this is a thing called the unfollow button. You can also leave groups. There's all kinds of ways you can do to improve the uh, bullshit that you're fed on a daily basis. Hmm. All right. Next one. This one's a really good one. It might even be a little controversial. Uh, patron Kelsey wants to know with uh, all the people um, all the new eyes being brought into 40k, specifically uh, Magic the Gathering players coming on board because of Pleasant Kenobi, um, uh, that the number of win-at-all-costs players or Magic-esque players, and, and, and I, I play Magic, so I, I think I can safely say this, uh, the average Magic player is an entire other level of competitive over the average, even the most competitive 40k player. That, that That's not saying that the 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 high end like I'm not calling like Nick Nottavati or like Brandon Grant like bad players or bad competitors. That's not 
what I'm trying to say by any stretch of the means, but the average Magic the Gathering player plays like 14-hour days in tournaments, and they're they're just they're a completely different community and a completely different beast. Um, so I understand where Kelsey's coming from when he asks this question. So he wants to know how do we as a community stop 40k from becoming as cutthroat as other games? Um, he'd really hate if if 40k ended up being like like competitive Pro Tour Magic or um, like uh, Call of Duty or you know if if a mentality shift changes the way he enjoys 40k. So. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because I have my own personal thoughts, but I kind of want to hear what you guys think about it first. Um, okay. So, first of all, um, we've seen in our past some players in 40K do, I'll call it shady things, because they're things that are clearly unacceptable. And I know that has happened in the Magic the Gathering community for a very long time, um, specifically. But I think, Pablo, you might have been the one who shared it with me, the article about uh, someone who made a difference in the Magic the Gathering community to make things more sportsmanlike. Um, and a, basically, Magic the Gathering went from win at all costs, including totally acceptable to bend the rules because the penalties for getting caught, for example, um, top, what is it, where you slip the card on the top of the deck and then draw it, or all these like card shuffling techniques. Oh, yeah, techniques. there's tons of, tons of little rules lawyering things that were... That were um, you could use to legitimately win a game. Yeah. Anyways. So basically, the penalties for getting caught were, oh, you have to undo the move, which is basically there is no penalty. So people got very talented at um, cheating, and um, <laughs> if you don't want people to do win at all costs in the sense of cheating, then you make the rules very clear, and you make the consequences for not following those rules very clear, and when the time comes, you follow through on those consequences. And if you do all three of those, they're in good shape. As to uh, win at all costs and people becoming more competitive and more focused on playing the game at a high level, I personally don't see the problem as long as they're staying sportsmanlike while they're doing it. So if they play really well and at the end of the game you win and they say, wow, well played, I've never seen someone do that before, that's how the game is supposed to be played. So really the only thing I'd be worried about is a culture that focuses so much on winning that it condones bending the rules in order to win in a way that's unfun uh, for the person that's across from them. I think for some people, they don't have an interest in playing the game competitively or as a sort of skill endeavor. They'd rather enjoy it more as a hobby and social endeavor, and that's fine. Um, a lot of those people have concerns about the game becoming more competitive, but if we're looking to Magic as a model, um, I think there's a lot to like there because, yes, Magic is an incredibly competitive game. There's a lot of money in it. Obviously, this incentivizes people for tournament play and all that sort of stuff. But there's also people who play Magic who've never gone to a tournament who don't have any interest in any of that. And there's a wide variety of very well-supported, non-competitive magic formats. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to remember, is there's room in the game for everyone. Just because we are increasing the level of competitiveness and, and game knowledge and skill and all of this in tournaments doesn't mean that that has to bleed over into other events. Because... GW has shown that they are very strongly in favor 
of supporting many different kinds of play. And I think that the the way they have made the distinctions between narrative and competitive play and ninth edition do a much better job of making both of those viable formats. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I really cheer, uh, what, what you just said, yep. Sean, I think the, uh, the delineating of different tiers of play and actually giving narrative players an actual format, which yes. they didn't have before, which is freaking phenomenal to the point where I'm like, Hey, I'd like to try that. Like, that's awesome. Um, yeah. but I mean, the, if there's one thing that I am super worried about, um, and this has nothing to do with whether or not magic players are playing, uh, this has to do with the fact that if Games Workshop takes more of a lead in tournament pack building, they have already, uh, and if Mike Brandt's approach to this is, uh, at Nova is any sign, they are um, frowny-faced when it comes to things like floor rules and codified um, standards of conduct. Mm -hmm. um, that is a huge step back for the game. So if yeah. ITC, for example, if we're not using the ITC... Uh, missions that's one thing but if it becomes out of vogue to continue using a form of a code of conduct then you are going to see people whether or not they play magic the gathering uh able to start being shitty at tournaments um yeah. without any repercussions like brandon said and that's the problem so yes. as long as tournament organizers realize that this is that the idea of a gentleman's game is bullshit and an anachronism that never existed um you know, we're going to have shitty people winning tournaments. We need to make sure we have floor rules and that we treat this game seriously, like all games that are taken seriously, and have yeah. rules of conduct that are enforceable. That's the whole point of my spiel. I'm done. Yeah, Sean, uh, I actually like applaud you. I actually think that was a really, really good um, take that you had on that question. Um, so much so that I really don't want to follow up on anything else. I think we just <laughs> want to move on to the next one. Um uh, Casey wants to know what is your favorite pie? Uh, Appleberry mm. crumb from a Julian pie house in California. San Diego. Oh yeah, if you've never had the Dutch apple crumb pie from Julian Apple Pie Company, you're missing oh, out. Oh my god, they're so good though. Yeah, D Dutch apple crumb is really really good, but just to be a contrarian, I'm gonna have to say mincemeat. I love a good mincemeat pie. <laughs> A savory pie. Who? That's like way off. Yeah. Wow. Just no, mincemeat's mincemeat's very sweet. It's not well, actually. I mean, yeah. It's you know. It is it, more savory, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go pecan pie because uh, yeah. One time I said that, and I was accused of selecting a quote niche pie. And, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not niche. So I'm gonna. I'm sticking. I'm sticking yeah. with it. <laughs> no, I just finished eating a pecan pie earlier today, so I, that that's a very good choice. <laughs> Oh man. Uh so uh Ian wants to know, Patreon wants to know, even with explosive and unpredictable growth, did the shutdown of their production early in the pandemic hurt their ability to prepare? Much of their line prepping for this had to have played catch up given the other delayed releases. Um I'm just gonna take this if you guys don't mind. Uh it absolutely hurt their ability to prepare right now, not in the past. It what it did was it hurt their ability to keep up with production on models that were already sold out. It's the reason why the entire Adeptus Custodes line, I think, is pretty much sold out now. Why everything, mm. all the Space Marine stuff is sold out, except for, like, Centurions, Thunderfire Kids. Amazing. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. the, why, why Grey Knight Terminators and Strike Squads are sold out in February. They've actually had this issue consistently for all of 8th edition. 
they mm-hmm. just consistently haven't been able to meet production. I don't think COVID had anything to do with that. But what that I do think I do what I do think COVID is going to affect them in is their ability to meet production for the rest of the year. It's going to be really bad. We're we're going to see local gaming stores beg GW for a single Strike Squad to buy because they're sitting on like. 50 Garveel Surehearts, Surehearts, which is an Age of Sigmar model that never sells. Um, yeah. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to be like, oh, we have all these Valentius Bright Hands just lying around. <laughs> you know, all these fuck, or excuse me, all these um, Dark Eldar Cabalite Warriors. You know, Ooh. like, can you can you throw us some Granite Strike Squads? Can you throw us some Primaris Space Marine Impulsors? Please. And GW is going to look at them and go like, sorry, bro, we can't even stock our own warehouse, let alone yours. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's I'm I'm genuinely worried as someone who is a retailer who who deals with them regularly to try and keep our own stocks up. I'm genuinely worried. Um, all right. Uh, next question. At what point do they cross the line uh, with the release bro- with broken rules? OK, this is just all over the place. Um, uh I'm not going to answer that. Um, <clears throat> do you, uh, Jake wants to know, do you, the co-hosts, feel the app is going to be worth a subscription, given that it seems once the edition book, 8th edition books are retired, the individual would need to enter one time. So, basically, do you think it's worth it after, at, once they start releasing ninth edition codexes? I don't think there's any way to know right now. All we have is the marketing fluff about what they think the app is going to be like. Whether or not it's actually going to be worthwhile is going to depend so much on like whether they're supporting it regularly, whether they're fixing bugs, whether they're fixing errors, and all this kind of thing. And there's every reason to think that they will, but we don't know if they will or not. So how valuable it is compared to, say, Battlescribe um, is entirely up in the air right now. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, Val and Brandon, anything else said? I mean, the the conservative point of view is to say that there's probably some dog food that needs to be eaten with any new electrical product mm. or any software yep. product. So it's probably going to have some bugs day one. But I am very optimistic that it's going to be great. So I definitely want to check it out and see what it's all about when oh we know gosh. everything about it. I love I love that take. If you want Halo <laughs> Two, you're gonna have to eat some dog food. Although Halo Halo Combat Evolved was actually really good too. That's a that's a jargon term, right? Like uh, a when, little when bit, yeah. When you're taking when you're when you're testing a new yes. thing, I think dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say I, I'm gonna give this thing a probably good eighty twenty. Worth it to not worth it. Okay. I, from just standing here with my faith in in Brant. Uh, and how important this is to really having them step things up. I think they're going to add features over time. I think they got vision for it. I'm very hopeful. I say they're going to make it worth it. All right. This next question is really good. I would say it even kind of captures the essence of this entire episode. That's uh, patron Shannon wants to know, are we asking too much of a small company in a very difficult world right now? So I don't think GW is a small company. However, I think the question is really valid. Are we asking too much of GW right now? I don't Uh, think so. To fix all these things. Yeah, I I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect them to have their messaging on point 
should we expect them to have an infinite number of Indominus boxes? No, that's not fair, especially given the the pandemic situation. But if they know they're not going to have enough of them, and they should have known that, then it is entirely fair to expect them to be able to communicate that to us in a way that's still acceptable to their marketing team. And that's the marketing team's job is to communicate information to the the players in a way that is is going to be beneficial to them. Hmm. What about Val Brandon? Um, I don't think so, uh, namely because uh, Games Workshop's market cap right now is clocking in at three and a half billion U.S. dollars. Yeah, makes they're not it, a small company. <laughs> makes it not a mom and pop shop. Uh, has huge expectations, not just from us, but from shareholders, which I've brought up. On, in other places, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from shareholders because this is previously it was priced as an income stock. So that meant that they paid a dividend. You got cash from it. Great. You held it. Didn't matter if it went up in price. Nowadays, though, it's priced like a growth stock. So this thing has got more in common with like a Tesla than, than it would like your average bank stock or something <laughs> that you're looking for income. Uh, and that sounds crazy, but certainly so is the valuation of its stock. So there's going to be huge expectations from it to meet these the the expectations uh, of both its consumers, but also its investors. So um, I sure hope they can they can answer it, and they're going to have to really level up fast um, because they are, you know, the, the company was, I think it broke $1 billion in market cap maybe in the year they ate launched, so three years ago. So that yeah, gives that you an idea of just right. how, how fast it's accelerated. So yeah, they've got a lot lot of things cut out, and those expectations are there, so they have to meet them or or, you know, things go sideways. Yeah, I think it's totally reasonable to be hard on them when they mess up um, and expect things that a well-established $3.5 billion company should be able to pull off, but also realize that if they're sending signals that they're trying to do better and they are doing better, then we're heading in the right direction. I'm not going to add too much more to this. Um, I'm just going to answer this question with another question. Um, it's clear that they're in a transition point right now. Um, but at what point do we think that they should be done with this transition and have fully transitioned? And how long is that taking? And when did it, the transition actually start? Um, it's kind of like what I'm asking myself right now. Um, but anyways, next question. Um, uh, how should GW update their sales policy to help mitigate these kind of confusions? That that is the uh, Indominus box release being uh, sold out in 13 minutes, and um, basically just their kind of uh, Indominus folly. Uh, how do you how do you think they update their sales policies to help mitigate that? Um, we discussed this earlier. It's just make sure that expectations from customers are close to reality. Yeah, that's true. We did discuss it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, transparency. I. <clears throat> uh, all right. Um, <laughs> Neil wanted to know uh, if Brandon Grant ate smooth, crunchy peanut butter or banana and peanut butter sandwiches at tournaments. Um, I answered that Dan, in the forum. Yeah, he answered. It, by the way, it's peanut butter and banana sandwiches. So if you if you want to uh, be as good of a tournament player as Brandon Grant, sometimes you got to eat some dog food, like peanut butter and banana sandwiches. <laughs> uh, patron Dan wants to know what are some of your go-to companies for hobby products besides GW third-party sculpts paints etc um, I only use Citadel's Finest 
so I don't do any of that stuff. Gasp. I'm a huge fan of the Vallejo paints. Uh, they're, they're very good. Um, they, they're pretty cheap compared to the GW ones, and they're very high quality. Um, the Minotaur airbrush paints I've also uh, found to do a lot of really good stuff, uh, especially the like uh, candy ones that they do. You can get some really cool effects with those. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of different third-party bits manufacturers that do all kinds of different things, depending on the factions you play. Okay. Val? I would, uh, for, for orcs, um, Spellcrow miniatures, they're both, I think they're both Polish options, um, but Spellcrow have some Mm -hmm. of the most, uh, amazing bits, specifically heads, uh, that you get for orcs, just some of the, like, really characterful, awesome things. I use them all the time. And uh, also for for other bits uh, for Oryx, Cromlech, and they've got a bunch of other cool stuff. Cromlech yep. and Spellcrow, love them. And then my only my favorite hobby shout out shout out would be Badger's Primer, which is the hmm. best primer for airbrushes, and has the worst friggin' name. Stinnylerez, Stinnylerez Primer <laughs> from Badger is outstanding. I watched a uh, there's this hobby. Um, it was a it was a a scale model review, like a scale modeler review, like a guy who builds like air, model airplanes and stuff. And this guy was going insane. It was hilarious just how enthusiastic he was about the coverage and <laughs> quality of this primer. And I would have to say as a pretty layman hobbyist, it is an amazing primer. Stin Lyres. <laughs> yeah, um, and then uh, I'm, I'm not, not all just obligated, uh, but uh, the armor painter has some really great stuff too. They have really great primer brushes, all that good stuff. They're also uh, an LVO sponsor, um, and uh, one of the representatives, Mr. Adam Abramowicz, um, also has one of the cooler podcasts on the internet revolving around competitive 40k. So mm-hmm. check out the Army Painter as well. They got some great stuff. Uh, and then finally, Monty wants to know how do you think the ninth edition rollout would be different if this ITC season had actually been going on? So if we had been in full swing, <laughs> tournaments galore, no COVID. How do you think the ninth edition rollout? How do you think people would take it? I don't think it would have been fundamentally different. Um, I think we would have seen more focus on the transition uh, and sort of people worrying about like where where was my army and where is it going in ninth? Uh, because right now a lot of people are are kind of making a lot of assumptions, um, but. I, I don't think it really would have changed things all that much. Uh, we just we would have a more varied scene prior to the the transition happening. I think that's a fun thought exercise, just because in the seventh transition, seventh to eighth, um, first of all, they cut off the rules taps like three months before. It felt like a yeah, long time, at least two months. Um. And and so there was just nothing new coming out. And the last thing that had come out before was Yanari. Uh, so it kind of left the <laughs> it left the meta in like a bombed out, depleted, busted ass state, and no <laughs> one cared anymore. Um, whereas in eighth, they cl- they looked like they they had a different thought, which was we're going to keep updating eighth edition with the Psychic Awakening, and it looked like it would have gone pretty much all the way up until ninth dropped. So you would have had sort of a continuing involving eighth meta until ninth. And you were in an age where there's multiple GTs every single weekend, often multiple majors, um, coming right into the summer. So it 
it would have been i think eights would have been alive and well all the way to the bitter end yeah um i agree with you val um i think the other thing we would have seen was we would have seen so many eyes on those points leaks um and faction specific stuff because right now we would have finished we'd be finishing up the wtc we would have had just had you know bunch all the summer gts would be in full swing right now i would be preparing for several tournaments um so every little change to a faction that jw would have made in ninth edition would be hyper focused on right because we don't even know what the meta would have looked like right now like space marines were the big bad the last time we had like a major significant tournament Grey Knights um, were actually becoming that too, right? Like, Grey Knights were. They, but they, we, yeah, they, they were. But as Peter said, um, it, like two episodes ago, or, or the last episode he was on, um, they were they had like one build, maybe two. They were getting pretty static and people were figuring them out. And then the mm-hmm. meta died. So we don't know. We, we have no idea. Um, it's it's very, very unfortunate. But I think, yeah, I think we've had a lot more eyes on ninth, the ninth edition release. Um and specifically a lot more uh, passion about factions. Hmm? No. This, this is a good, it is a fun thought experiment, though. And a little bit sad. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but, you know, there's not really anything yeah, we can do about that's it. That's just the way it is. Kind of it. <laughs> if we can't do anything about it, it's not really worth dwelling too much on. Right on. All right, so that's it. That's it for all the patron questions. If you'd like to ask us questions and also have a chance at winning an Indominus box, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, where you can help support the podcast for only $5 a month, the cost of a GW app subscription. So if you're not interested in <laughs> signing up for that GW app, send it over our way or, you know, support one of the other <laughs> many Patreons. Uh, maybe you can send some money over to 40kstats.com. Or uh, check out the Honest Wargamer. Send him a Twitch subscription. Rob definitely would love and appreciate it. Uh, or if you want to check out the ITC and all that. There's ton, tons and tons of ways to give back. If you're feeling like you're a particular 40k philanthropist, you can even support them all for the cost of one GW Codex. Maybe <laughs> two. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's it. That's the episode. Val, Sean, Brandon, do, I, do any of you have any shoutouts or plugs you want to give? Um, I just want to say, uh, really good job recently on the, for the Goonhammer guys. They've been wow. doing a lot of really cool stuff. I know it's, uh, a little bit outside of the normal, but they have been doing fantastic work that I think everyone really appreciates. So if you're looking for some quality content, check out Goonhammer.com. They are really putting it out right now. I agree. I agree 100%. Um. Yeah, that Gunammer article, if you haven't checked it out, the mm-hmm. uh, one where they they basically formula the point or break the formula for the ninth edition points. Oh, was, it was just warmed my awesome. heart. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, it was so good. Oh, yeah. so good. That, that should have, yeah, that can be its own episode. Um, we, we got we got into some it other stuff be. today, though. But. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Val, Brandon, any other plugs? Not for me. I, I have a pretty significant plug. Shout out to my unborn but soon-to-be-born child dropping this week, uh, probably. Actually, guaranteed, the, we have a date scheduled. So, um, what, what kind of build you're looking at for him? 
Pardon? What kind of build you looking at for him? Like a fighter <laughs> or like a multi-class or I don't know, but that's gonna be a stressful, you know, D twenty roll up. I'm, I'm oh, not that. gonna lie. Oh, you're using random generation? Oh no. That's uh, the way that's, it goes. Okay. Man. All right. Well, you know goes. what? I don't no I'm not gonna yuck anyone's yums. Yeah. No rerolls. <laughs> um, so uh that might this might be the last you hear of me for a while, guys. Yeah, well we appreciate all of the hard work you've given into the Frontline Gaming Network, Val, um, and may you enjoy. Just your tell your boss that because he slagged me, he slagged me on 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 signals. I believe, <laughs> I believe he said I, we were quote lazy and we might get around someday to uh, to release some more content. And I'll note that he then didn't show up for this show when he was supposed to. So <laughs> that's true. I mean that is Reese in a bucket <laughs> right there. Uh, never even responded back to my phone call or text message. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, levity aside, Val, I hope uh, you enjoy your introduction to fatherhood. Um, Thank you. If it makes you feel any better, I think you're going to be an amazing fucking dad and parent. Um, Can you make that t-shirt, please? Amazing (laughs) fucking dad. And um, And I'm so excited to to see your journey and um, as it progresses, like it's fucking awesome. Anyways. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. That's it. I'm excited, too. <laughs> that's it for the episode. Thank you all for listening. You are all, of course, the best listeners ever in the world. Time's infinity. And as always, have a good one. <laughs>